Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message with our lead pastor, Zach Maddox. Uh, but we are living in interesting times. And I actually was reflecting on it. I thought it was about something, Shell. So we lived overseas for, for some time, lived in East Africa and Khartoum, Sudan. And we learned an Arabic phrase, inshallah. 2020 is like the year of inshallah, which means if God wills. Which is actually a very good theological statement, which is like, you know, Ashufa Bukra, inshallah. I'll see you tomorrow if God wills. That's kind of a true statement, right? Problem is... The way that locals would use that is like an excuse to not do work. So I've got gaping holes in the side of the house we're renting because, you know, we need windows there. We have issues with scorpions. I don't like them in the house. We've got a one-year-old running around. When are you going to come finish up those windows? Bukhara, inshallah. You know how tired I got of that phrase. Like, okay, that's great. But what's my will is like tomorrow you're coming, you know, like. Not just if, if, you know, he decided to show up. So, like, this is the year of inshallah. So in case you were unaware, that's like the year we're living in. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but that's okay. God does, and we're going to talk about that this morning. And, uh, but I will say this, part of what this time has allowed for us is, you know, as a, as a church, the building was closed for about 16 weeks. And in so doing, it allowed some space for us to really consider what Christianity is and what the church is. You start asking those questions, right? Like, who am I in Christ and what is the church? Uh, because there's a lots of things culturally that we do, and those things aren't bad things. In fact, those things can be good things. But if we're not careful, we can begin to appreciate those things more than the main thing. And so what I want to get into today as we continue our series in Acts is it's a passage that defines for us what Christianity is. And then as we continue in Acts the next week, we're going to get into part one of a message on what the church is. And, and I think it's great timing for us to consider what Christianity is and what the church is. And God's word is sure to show us. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. If you're new to Connection Point Church, we say that because we want you to be in God's word, not just on Sunday, but every day. And I really need you to have a Bible right now because there's none underneath the chairs like we typically have. So bring your Bible to church on Sundays. We're always going to open up God's Word. We are in Acts, Acts chapter 2. And what we're going to do today is look at what Christianity is. Christianity not influenced by culture. Christianity not restricted by government. Christianity not influenced by anything except God's definite plan. How many know God has plans? And we can be confident in those plans, and it helps us to know what God's plan is for the church and what Christianity is. So I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. A little bit longer passage today. If you want to stretch out your legs. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 14. And what's happened is last week, the disciples, they were waiting in Jerusalem for the promise that Jesus said would come, and, and waiting in obedience to what Jesus had asked, and the Holy Spirit comes, and it comes in wind and fire, and, and the disciples are speaking in tongues, and, and so then what happens is, is this, these 
people that are there for the festival, the Feast of Pentecost, people from all these nations, they've come for a party in Jerusalem, and they're asking, what is this thing that's happened? And, and so then Peter stands and he gives an answer, and here's his answer. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. So he's like, so they were accused of being drunk. He's like, look, it's 9 a.m. They can't be drunk. I love that as an opening to the message. Like, what a great introduction. So that's his introduction. He says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares. I will pour out my spirit on some flesh, all flesh, young and old, black and white, poor and rich. It doesn't matter. On all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a really important verse this morning. Everyone means everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made, me, you have made known to me the paths of life and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses." being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? My prayer for us this morning as we look at this passage is you ask yourself the question in relation to this work, what shall I do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, 
every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The decision you make today and the way that you follow Jesus is not just for you. It's for your children and your grandchildren and all who are around you. It's for everyone. So know that the way you follow Jesus affects not just you, but all those around you. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day 3,000 souls. That's a great message. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So we left off in Acts last week, as we looked at Acts 2, verses 1 to 13, with a, a message, because what happens is, is the crowd that's there, so they're here and in the temple area, they're all there for this party, this feast called Pentecost. That feast continues today. You know, we lived in Israel for years, and every year that feast would come around and they would celebrate that. It's a party. And, and so all the nations are there for this regional party, and, and they're hearing these men speak in their own native tongue, even though they're Galileans. And so they're asking, what does this mean? And, and we found the Holy Spirit coming, it means a lot of important things. It means we get to experience a new exodus. It means we can be set free because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. It means so many things to us. And at the very beginning, what we found in the way that Peter now preaches this message is his experience walking with the resurrected Lord for 40 days and being filled with the Holy Spirit. That personal encounter led to a public proclamation. And let, let me remind you, I shared it last week that you've got to consider 50 days prior, Peter's sitting around a campfire a middle school girl asks him if he knows Jesus, and he says no. But now he's preaching to thousands. Something happened. He encountered the resurrected Jesus. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and preaches a powerful message. Would you like to see where Peter was when he proclaimed these things? Whether you want to or not, we're going to show you anyway. <laughs> we were in Israel with a, a group of people from Connection Point in March uh, so this is us sitting on what's the south steps of the, the temple area, of the old temple area. And some of these steps, uh, you, so some of these are rebuilt in nice ways, but some of these steps are 2,000 years old. How many know that's some awesome construction? So it's just amazing that we can go to some of these places today that validates what we're talking about in God's word as true. So these are the steps. These are, and how do we know that these are those steps? There's a couple of reasons. We've got some clues in scripture. One of the things is, is we know that these steps were a place of teaching, that this is likely where Simeon met baby Jesus when, when Mary and Joseph go to bring Jesus to, the, to dedicate him at the temple. This is likely the place where 12-year-old Jesus, who stayed behind talking with the religious teachers, he's probably sitting on these steps. Why? Because this was a place of teaching. The events leading up to the cross, Jesus was teaching the crowds. This would have been one of the places he would have been doing that from. And the other reason as we look at why is it that we know that Peter was preaching here is because this is a place where thousands can hear because it's a natural amphitheater. And they're all going to, all of these nations, these people represented in this passage would have been in this area of the temple. But the other thing that we know is it says that at the end of the passage, 3,000 are baptized. Okay, it is a big feat. You know, we've got one baptismal tank. We'll put up here once a month and we'll baptize people in Jesus' name. It takes a long time to baptize 3,000 people that way, Right? Okay, they had better efficiencies. They had all around this area are something called mikvah, 
where they could walk in. These were ritual immersion tanks, usually for them to go down one side as unpure or unclean, walk up the other side as clean, and be baptized. So they used these mikvah tanks for baptism. So here we go. That's me filming this part. You're about to see our production director. That's him filming. You see the difference? So this is a mikvah, though. So these are all around that area, the South Steps. So these are all there. So how do you baptize 3,000 people? You've got these. You've got the Pool of Siloam. All of these are there. So we know this is where Peter's preaching. So as we walk through this passage, I want you to mentally have that picture of this is where that's occurring. And what we find here is Peter is preaching the first Christian message, following in the footsteps of Jesus. And so many lives were changed. And why is it? It's because the Holy Spirit revealed to the hearts of these people what Christianity is. And that's what I'd like for us to discover today and answer to the question, what is Christianity? And the first thing I want to pull out from Peter's message is that we find Christianity is trusting the one who knows the future. This is really important right now. We need to trust the one who knows the future. Peter tells the crowd that day, hear these words. Hear these words, verse 22. And I want to focus on these words today. He says, men of Judea, hear these words. May our ears be open. May your hearts be open to hear today what the Holy Spirit desires to speak. And I love then the first word. He says, hear these words. And the very next word he says is Jesus. Jesus is the first word. Jesus is always the most important word. Because as we look at Christianity, it really is all about Jesus. And what he says, Peter says, a man attested to you by God. So Jesus Christ, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders. And signs that God did, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. What Peter tells us is that God has foreknowledge. And I want us to take great encouragement in that today. You and I, we don't know the future. And if that's ever been more true, I would say this year it has shown to be true. We don't know the future. We may try to predict it. Some of us are living in fear of it. Some of us are living very worried and anxious right now, wondering what the future holds for us, fearful of how the future might treat us. We try to predict what the future might hold and and prepare for it. But I'd say it's pretty hard to do right now. But what does Peter say? God has foreknowledge. Although he rules over time, he also works in time. And God knows tomorrow as clearly as we know yesterday. We need to be encouraged by that. God knows and sees the future in totality. So here's what I'd like us to understand this morning, especially for those living with fear and anxiety. You don't need to know tomorrow, but you need to know the one who does. We don't need to know the future. We simply need to know the one who does. That's it. It might look like life is chaotic and out of control and hopeless, but to God, he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what is coming, and he has a definite plan. God has a plan right now. But of course, part of the problem for us is is we sometimes struggle with his plans. But we need to take comfort in that nothing, nothing is beyond God's reach. Nothing is. 
As we look at his plan, look at this plan. Look at God's definite plan. Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So, okay, he's got a plan. Here's the plan. Crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. How many struggle with that plan? Like, how is that going to work out? I mean, if there's a test to Christianity, man could not have thought this up because man's not going to think this is a good plan. This is going to work out, right? Then that's what, that for us, we know that this is God's plan and part of God's plan. Here's what I love about God's plan. He takes the plans of lawless men, it says. These lawless men had a definite plan. And what does God say? And I do too, and I'm going to take your plan and twist it. So no matter what's happening in our world today, it looks like there's some lawlessness, but you know what? God has a definite plan. And he says, I'll take what you're doing and I'm going to bring victory. That's what God does. His plan was crazy. He killed the main character. And then he resurrected him. Scripture says, death, where is your sting? It doesn't have it anymore. I will say this. One of the challenges for me in following Christ, and maybe it's because we lived in Sudan in the Middle East, you know, we lived in crazy places. I don't understand Christians afraid of death. That's an oxymoron for me, which isn't to say you're a moron. It just doesn't make sense. (laughs) Death will one day be our reward to be with Jesus forever. No matter what comes in this world, the acts of lawless men, God wins. And so long as we follow him, we're right there with him. We need to follow Jesus and see his plan unfold the way that he intends it to be done. We don't naturally choose death and self-sacrifice. We don't. We desire comfort and stability. I get it. But over and over as we read through this book, we see God's definite plans. They usually take interesting and uncomfortable routes. Over and over. Interesting and uncomfortable, that's how you know you're following God. And then he forms in us through those uncomfortable things, Christ in us. It's part of what he does. So what we need to understand in these uncertain times is God is at work in our world. He's at work in his church. He really is. And he's bringing her through an interesting and uncomfortable journey toward victory. Question you and I need to answer this morning is can we trust the one who knows the future? For a Christian, we must. We trust the one who knows the future. If everything opens back up tomorrow and life returns to normal, whatever that is, Will you have been found trusting God in these times? If your job changes tomorrow because of these uncertain times, will you still trust God with your life? If things go backward, things shut down, will you still trust God's definite plan? And it matters because Christianity is trusting the one who knows the future. And of course, we see that Christianity, here it was one of Peter's main points, Christianity is about a resurrected Savior. And that's part of God's definite plan crucifixion, resurrection. We can get behind that plan. Peter reminds the crowd from 2,000 years ago that David, um, of whom the people revered, that he died and was buried. And and I love that Peter's basically illustrating his sermon because where he's standing on the south steps, he can direction over here to the right where the tomb of David still sits to this day. And what he's saying is, all of you men of Judea, hear these words, Jesus. Jesus. Now, let me talk about David, but he still sits in a tomb that we venerate, but he's dead. But David knew one would come who would be resurrected unto life and never die. 
And so by the way, we can't venerate the tomb of Jesus because he's not there. He's resurrected today. And we get to serve a resurrected savior. And what the, Peter is also saying in the context of that witness is he says, we saw him. That's why Peter and the 11 are standing with him. He says, we are witnesses to this resurrection. We know that Jesus is alive. And I don't know where you find yourself this morning. If, if you believe in Jesus or not, in his death and resurrection, two Easter's ago, 2018, I shared a Good Friday message on did Jesus really die? And I just walked through. We know that Jesus died. And then on Easter, I preached a message on, did Jesus really rise from the dead? We know that he did. And, and so I would say this, if you have questions about that, go back and listen to those messages. You can find them on connectionpointchurch.org. We keep all of our messages. Go back, listen to those, because if you're solid on those two things, if you know that Jesus died, if you know that Jesus was resurrected, as we've said before, anyone who predicts their own death and resurrection and pulls it off, we listen to that guy. We need to follow Jesus. So if you're solid on those things, everything else can fall into place because we serve a resurrected Savior. And so then that means we have opportunity to live forever with God and other believers by accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior of our lives. So I would ask, have you done that? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And if you haven't, I'd encourage you to do it today because Christianity is about a resurrected Savior. And the last thing we find and where we really land this morning, if you want to know what Christianity is, here's the simplest definition I can give you. Christianity is Christ. That's it. As Peter preaches, this is what we find. Christianity is Christ. As we consider the definite plan of God, and in other words, as we consider what God is doing right now, so let's talk about the situation we find ourselves in. In the middle of all we're facing today, I believe he's trying to remind us that Christianity is Christ. And whether we've meant to or not, I do think we, in the course of years and decades, we made Christianity a lot of things. Some of those things are good things, and we'll talk about those things. But I do think God wants to remind us about the one thing. That Christianity is Christ. To be a Christian is to be a mini-Christ, like a, a small Christ, not necessarily small in stature, just a version of Christ that we reflect him to the world. That's what Christian means. The early believers, they were a part of this, what they called the sect of Judaism, the way. That's how they were referred to for a while. But then what happens is there's persecution in Jerusalem. They spread, they scatter around the world. Some of those early believers wind up in a town called Antioch, and while they're in Antioch, these believers, they talk so much about Jesus. They're always proclaiming Jesus. His name is always on their hearts and forever on their lips. And so then what happens is, is these people in Antioch, they just start to call them Christians, many Christs, these people who can't stop talking about Jesus Christ. So that's what it is to be a Christian. And what's interesting about this group of people in Antioch is they had no church buildings they had no Wednesday night programming. They had no kids' church, tax breaks, or Christian businesses. And it was okay because they had Jesus, and he was enough. I do believe God wants to bring us back to the place where we're good with Jesus. 
All the other things that we get to have as a part of our life in Jesus and Christian experience, they can be good things, but only as supplementary to, never replacements of. You know, is that to say church building, Sunday morning services, kids' church, Wednesday evening programming, and Christian businesses are wrong? Absolutely not. It is heavenly. Let me say this. It is heavenly to gather in this place. Our youngest, who's eight, he came over as we were singing in song, and he looked around the room and he said, church is back. It is heavenly to gather in one place and proclaim the name of he who's worthy of all our praise. The vision of Connection Point Church is that we're in fulfillment of God's big dream. We find in Revelation 7, 9, one day every tongue, tribe, people, nation. Like we get a taste of that on Sunday mornings. That's why we love it. So that's a wonderful thing. I love that my kids can be in Royal Rangers and Impact Girls. I love that my son has a great youth group to be a part of. I'm thankful for all of those things. But I think part of what God's been doing the last several months is to remind us Christianity is Christ. I've shared this before, but felt like it was worth repeating this morning of who Christianity is about. It's about Jesus. And so my encouragement is that we love who Jesus is. Simply that, love who Jesus is. One of my concerns is seeing how people have really gone through a process of, of deconstruction as the Lord begins to tear things away from their lives. But he does it because he loves us. How many are thankful for a God that loves us as we are, but loves us enough to not keep us that way? That's the God we serve. And so he wants us to have more of himself, but to have more of himself, sometimes he's got to shed some things from our lives. And I think that's part of what he wants to do. We don't want any distortions of who Jesus is. We want to fall on our face before the great I am, the Jesus who's the image of the invisible God. Jesus, who's firstborn of all creation. Jesus, who's above all thrones, dominions, and powers. Jesus, in whom all things consist. Jesus, head of the body, firstborn from the dead, who in all things has preeminence. It's him we preach. It's him we love. It's Jesus that we worship. Jesus, who's gentle and great. Jesus, who's just and merciful. He's awesome and safe. He's approachable, but dwells in unapproachable light. Jesus who came as a vulnerable baby and will come again as a vanquishing king. Savior, healer, baptizer. Truth, life, door. First and last. Shepherd, way, peace. Advocate, judge, master. Christianity is loving to be with Jesus because he is enough. May we love to abide in him and to be in his presence. Let's love to linger and pour out our worship to him as we sing. Let's love to commune with him. Let's love to talk about him with each other. So much so that people would say, those people always talking about Jesus. That's a great accusation. May that be the accusation of us and the way that we follow him. Shelly and I, we, we sold our house and we're moving um, next month, and uh, downsizing like a third the size. And we are thrilled, by the way. Mostly because we love when the Lord allows us opportunity to strip things away from our lives to focus ever more on him. And my encouragement for you would be, what is God asking you to shed so that you can have your eyes ever more fixed on him?
I love in Hebrews where it says, keep our eyes fixed on him, Jesus, our champion. That's what it's about. So let's cherish Jesus. Let's talk to our kids about Jesus. Let Jesus be the mark of our church culture. May we have unadulterated, passionate, and increasing love for Jesus. Let's be a family radically in love with Jesus. Jesus, a part of every family conversation. The simplicity of having just Jesus. I love some of those old songs. One of my favorites. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Who knows that song? There's just something about that name. What is he? Master, Savior, Jesus. Like the fragrance after the rain. That's our Jesus. We would sing that song to our kids going to bed. And I loved hearing three-year-old Haley sing fragrance after the rain through our house. As we love Jesus, let's love to be like him. What sweet wonder that the more we love Jesus, the more we're like him. And that the more we're like him, the better we represent him. And that the better we represent him, the more his family grows. People are living without a lot of hope right now. And you have the hope that they need. May you be a good representation to the world so that Jesus' family might grow right now. It's important we identify what we've made Christianity about. If it's anything other than Jesus, we've missed the mark. So my prayer is just as the audience who heard Peter's message, it says they were cut to the heart. So my prayer has been, Jesus, cut us to the heart of things that we've added to our Christian experience that diminishes who you are. Let's exalt Jesus today because Christianity is Christ. So let's make it about him and nothing else. At the end of Peter's message, the crowd asks, what shall we do? So we're going to close in song. The music team's going to come. And what Peter says is, save yourself from this crooked generation. And I love, as, as I mentioned in reading through the scripture, he said, it's for you and your generations behind you. So the decisions that you make today and the way that you follow Jesus not only affects you, but others as well. And I think we could all admit this morning, something's gone fundamentally wrong in the world. We know it. And it doesn't matter how many dollars we spend, how many wars we wage, how many elections we have, how many demonstrations and protests we put on, how many organizations we start, people do terrible things, people suffer, and people die. If things change, they only change for a little while, and they never change from the inside out, which is what we need to see happen. Something's gone tragically and fatally wrong. And Jesus says, so what happens is, he says, what are we supposed to do? We must save ourselves from this crooked generation. And the way we do that is going back to the one word is Jesus. And what he says is repent and be baptized. I've shared before the, the Greek word behind repent in the New Testament, metanoia, means change your mind. So wherever you find yourself this morning, wherever your mindset has been on what Christianity is, may we go before the Lord as we close in song, singing Jesus at the center. Could I encourage you to just begin to confess to the Lord? He already knows it. He wants to take it from you. Jesus, I am sorry that I've made Christianity fill in the blank. 
You probably know what that is this morning. I believe the Holy Spirit has whispered those things to your heart. The question is, were you listening? And I want us to go before the Lord as we close in song and repent of those things this morning. It says, repent and be baptized. If you're here, we'll give invitation for you to follow Jesus if you don't know him that way. To change your life, to change your mindsets, to follow his teachings. And then he, he follows it up to saying, be baptized to publicly declare your allegiance to me as Jesus the King. And there's space for that to do that. We'll get back to water baptisms next month. I'm going to invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. As you stand, I'd like to ask, are you here today and you realize you've not made the decision to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior? But today you'd like to make a decision to follow Jesus and put him at the center of your life because he wants to be there. Right now you can make a decision to follow Jesus and then be confident for his plan for your life. If you don't know Jesus... You probably should be concerned right now about the world. If you do know Jesus, you can trust God's definite plan. So where is your heart this morning? So with every head bowed in this room, who here today would say, I want to follow Jesus? I just wanted you to raise your hand and I want to pray with you before we leave today. Who here today would say, I need to make that decision to follow Jesus and, and surrender my life to him to put him at the center of my life? Who here today would say, that's me? Right now, you can trust in God and trust in his definite plan as you make Jesus Lord of your life. Jesus, I pray right now over everybody in this room. I pray, God, that for those that are dealing with fear or anxiousness or worry, I pray that they would trust your definite plan. Lord, to have the confidence that you know what's happening, that nothing is outside of your reach. And so God, I just pray that you would bring peace into their heart and life today. And God, for those that, that maybe don't know you, I pray Jesus that as we close in song, that you would just begin to continue to stir in their heart a desire to follow you, to know you, to be changed by you. And Jesus, as we close in song, I do pray that we would confess to you those things that you brought to mind by your Holy Spirit that we need to give over to you and say, Jesus, I am sorry that I made Christianity about. And Lord, then just fill us with more of yourself. Replace what we have taken on. As we give that away, replace it with more of you, God. I ask for that right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.